Hello and welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In this episode, I will be talking about LaSalle and the discovery of the Great West, specifically the final third of that volume, which is the third volume in Francis Parkman Jr.'s France and England in North America. Um, the third volume as a whole really looks at a period roughly from about 1650 until the early 18th century. Um, well, this one, not so much. It's, you know, there's a few, this one really to the, to the ending of LaSalle's life, but it, it deals with a broader story of French exploration in the, in the Great Lakes, the Western Great Lakes, the Mississippi, all the way to Texas, uh, Minnesota, and places like that. So in the first episode on the series, I talked a little bit about Saul, his overall mission, his, his uh, and really how that connected to Parkman's overall thesis, which is the, the kind of the problem of, of monarchy and the church being the prime movers of French empire. Um, but also how they sort of changes from being more of a, the Jesuit, the Jesuits decline in influence after in the new world after the 1650s. But we see the emergence of new forces such as a much more feudal uh, foundation, but also trade. LaSalle is involved in all of that stuff. So we're going to be continuing on these themes over the next couple volumes of, of Parkman's work. Uh, the fourth volume, The Old Regime in Canada, deals with kind of a broader picture of the social and political history of, of New France. And then volume five kind of continues that, uh, looking at court, uh, Count Frontenac. Uh, Count Frontenac, of course, is a contemporary of LaSalle. So kind of all three of these volumes, uh, volumes three, four, five, all sort of fit together into telling one big story of the later half of the of the 17th century. So I kind of set up the book a little bit in the first episode. In the second episode, I focused on labor conflict, and I made the case, uh, drawing from what Parkman relates about LaSalle's journeys in the Mississippi, as well as Hennepin's expeditions into, into what's now Minnesota and his encounters with the Sioux people. I talked about how, especially with the creation of Fort Crevacoir, Fort Frontenac, those expeditions and the, the voyage of the Griffin and all that was plagued by worker unrest. And for the first time in Parkman's massive history of French America, we get a story of labor. And I think that's something that can't be neglected too much. Unfortunately, uh, Parkman was not interested at all in, in Saint-Domingue, in Haiti. And of course, in that story, workers, work, working class revolt, slave revolt, are very, very key to that particular history. But again, it's not something that's really on Parkman's mind. Um, I, I don't know why he didn't, you know, he was really more interested in the English, French, Indian interactions. So that's why he probably didn't talk about it. He didn't really see it as part of his story of North America. But nevertheless, a very, very important part of, of New France. But anyways, I looked at that and I just pointed out how contentious the labor situation was for LaSalle and how it eventually led to the destruction of Fort, Fort Crevacoir and, and essentially a mutiny. Quite a dramatic moment in, in history. It forces LaSalle to kind of go back to the drawing board and return to France. So the third part of this book uh, looks at LaSalle's eventual return to New France, the, the founding of St. Louis of the Illinois. Of course, that would later become the city um, St. Louis. Um, that was founded in 1684. 
Uh, but also then the 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 the, the, the French effort to establish uh, a fort and a settlement in in Texas, also in a place called St. Louis, not to be confused, the Bay of St. Louis. So there's St. Louis of Illinois and St. Louis of Texas, and they both emerge here. And then we get the final assassination of LaSalle um, and and the, kind of the end of his story. So altogether, volume three is really a story of discovery and exploration and very uh, tentative establishment of French, a French presence in the greater West, the Western Great Lakes, the Mississippi, Texas, um, Minnesota and all that. And then volumes four and five will kind of push us back to the West, to the East, sorry, push us back to the East, to Quebec, Acadia, and we, we kind of get the rest of the story that's simultaneous to the story of, of LaSalle. So anyways, let's let's get started here and, and go through it. I think it's about 10 chapters or so. Uh, yeah. Now, actually, this is a uh, like Fort St. Louis on the Illinois. So I think it must be roughly where the city of St. Louis actually that's founded in the 18th century. I'm sorry. Um, but there is this Fort St. Louis in that, in that area. Maybe it's not quite the same same location, but it's it, it is established during this this period, um, not directly by LaSalle, but by some of his some other French traders and, and agents. In fact, much of this chapter, St. Louis of the Illinois, LaSalle, he's, he's basically ill. He, he's, he's, he's put down by an illness that almost killed him. Um, and so he's more of an observer in this particular chapter. But as he recovers, he then sails to, to France. Um, and then in chapter, this is 22, uh, we get a chapter. It's kind of a a side conversation. This is actually the second time that Parkman does that does this in this book where he kind of says, well, what does LaSalle say about himself? And previously we did this in a chapter um, which was put together by uh, like a memo, his memoirs put together by by someone who knew him. Um, this chapter, LaSalle painted by himself, is also based on his own writing and his own vision of himself. But you know, this break in his career when he returns to France gives Parkman some time to sit down and say, okay, what was LaSalle's uh, vision of himself? And Parkman finds LaSalle kind of difficult person to, to understand. Um, and, you know, very reserved. He's described as reserved, self-contained, not having this real, very clear love of pleasure. He's kind of presented as a bit of a closed book to, to the historian. Um, and... And so what we get of him is just the story of resistance of people plaguing his his expeditions. Um, quote, his interests arrayed against him were incessantly at work. His men were presented to desert and rob him. The Iroquois were told that he was arming the Western tribes against them. The Western tribes were told that he was betraying them to the Iroquois. His proceedings were denounced at the court and continual efforts were made to alienate his associates. They, on their part, sore as they were from disappointment and loss, were in a mood to listen to the aspersions cast upon him, and they pestered him with letters, asking questions, demanding explanations, and dunning him for money. It's through his answers that we're best able to judge him, and at times, by the touch of nature, which made him the whole world kin, they teach us to know him and to feel for him. The main charges against him that he was a crack-brained schemer, that he was harsh to his men, that he traded where he had no right to trade, and that his discoveries were nothing but a pretense for making money. No accusations appear to touch his integrity or his honor. And so what Parkman tries to do here is get into some of his writings. And a lot of this is just quoting his own, his own letters and correspondences and things. Um, and the 
conclusion that Parkman comes to him is he's just a very sad, uh, pitiable person almost who is was full of anguish and struggle throughout his life. Um, and the kind of public image of him, he says at one point, is like he's like cast in iron, like he's a, a statue cast in iron. But uh, and he's not a madman. He's not even very much of a, a, a visionary. He's rather just a a very solitary, conflicted, lonely, lonely person. And um, you know, I, I think it's 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 useful. It, it's it's nice that Parkman tries to understand this character that plays such a big role in the drama of his of his larger larger story. Um, but it only spends a few pages on that. And then he in chapter twenty three he gets to uh, kind of the next phase in LaSalle's life, the final phase of his life, with a chapter called A New Enterprise. And this is set mostly in Paris. Uh, LaSalle has returned, returns to Paris in 1684, and he's attempting to basically find a new commission. His previous uh, effort in the Mississippi failed due to, as I explained last time, largely working class revolt and some Indian, Indian resistance. So he returns to, to France trying to get funding and money for for yet another uh, uh, expedition. And he gets it. He gets it actually in the form of two memorials. Uh, or he makes the two memorials where he proposes his expedition and he gets the, the go-ahead from the court to do that. Well, the plan here is pretty, pretty damn ambitious. Um, he basically has two projects he wants to engage in. Um, now, these don't really fully pan out, but... Um, you know, one a little bit more than the other in the long term. Uh, the first is to create a port in the Gulf of Mexico. This will be eventually be in the, the port, the, the Bay of St. Louis uh, on the coast of Texas. So he wanted this to be in at the, like the mouth of the Mississippi, but he gets off track and he ends up in Texas. So he wasn't planning a Texan position. Initially, it was just it's just where he ended up and got stuck building his fort there and he tried to find the Mississippi later on from there but the original plan was one base on the Gulf of Mexico near the mouth of the Mississippi and the second is to create a base in the 60 miles north of the mouth of the Mississippi River um, so if you look at this kind of geopolitically it, it really establishes uh, a stronger position for France in the, the Caribbean and actually a mention here is made of Saint-Domingue but mostly just as a place that LaSalle will go to pick up some manpower um, but you would have the very valuable French uh, positions in in the Caribbean uh, strongholds in the lower Mississippi and on the coast of Texas and then the control of the Mississippi River and the Great Lakes all the way to the St. Lawrence right so it creates that kind of crescent um, crescent moon shape uh, which would have contained the, the English and just been a really, really strong commercial position, creating a lot of outlets for interior trade. So it's, it's rather a good plan just geopolitically and in terms of the, the commerce of, of New France. Now, Parkman realized, as did the people in the court, that this is a bit too much for one man to, to achieve. So he only gets the, the real go-ahead for the, the Texas expedition. Um, but in the long run, of course, the French position in the lower Mississippi is going to be very, very key to their, their empire. And they're going to have that off and on until the, um, well, really until the Louisiana Purchase. But of course, they lose it in 1763, but then it, it gets back to France through Spain. It's, it's that, that, and then it eventually goes back to, 
to France during the Napoleonic era, and that's how it gets sold to the U.S. Um, but anyways, that is the, the plan. So chapter 24 is called The Voyage, 1784 to 17, sorry, 1684 to 1685. And this voyage uh, leaves from France. It's got uh, four ships, about 300 colonists uh, are, are along. And their mission, of course, is to establish a fort in, in the Gulf of Mexico on the, on the coast of Texas. Now, it does seem that La Salle and this expedition is a bit in over their head. Um, you know, for one thing, they were hurt harmed right in the beginning by disease. About 50 people fell sick early on this expedition. Uh, two of the ships lagged behind. Uh, you know, one was taken by buccaneers, Spanish buccaneers. And of course, this whole area is claimed by Spain and anyone who tries to start a colony there is basically going to be an enemy of Spain and, and risk, uh, risk being destroyed. There are hostile Indians there. This, this particular expedition seemed uh, not as... Not, I don't want to say not well planned. It seemed to have been planned, but just uh, a little bit too much for for the resources that, that LaSalle had. A little bit too ambitious. And when they finally get where they want to go, they, they end up actually in the wrong place because they, uh, they wanted to be closer to the Mississippi. Um, and the Mississippi was kind of their, their main goal to create that kind of crescent shape. But they end up in Texas um, in a place called uh, the Bay of St. Louis, now Mat. Matagorda Bay, um, so that's I guess its current name. Um, and he tries to explore around, and he's not quite sure where he is. The expedition is not quite sure where they are. Um, and eventually, when he finds out they're not as close to the Mississippi as he had hoped, the question is, you know, what's the point of establishing a fort here? But nevertheless, he does because they're they're basically stuck with 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 what they where they're at because of disease because of uh, the attrition that the expedition faced. So LaSalle, always the explorer and, and still committing to his original project to create a Gulf of Mexico fort. You know, of course, he wanted to have one farther north as well, farther up the Mississippi. But, you know, here he is in Texas, right? So instead, what he spends a lot of his time doing is sending on expeditions of, of dozens of men. He's leading them to try to find the, the Mississippi River and he, he fails. Um, in doing that. But in this chapter, chapter 26, St. Louis of Texas, 1685 to 1687, we get the story of these, these various explorations uh, by, by LaSalle. And they're all pretty uh, interesting little adventure stories that we get full of encounters with Indians and animals and, and a, lot of in, a lot of drama here. And, you know, just like as we saw in the last episode, he was plagued by working class unrest. The, the men did not fully support his vision and were disgruntled all the time. And eventually this is going to um, lead to the assassination of LaSalle by his, by his own men. Now the murder of LaSalle is a man named Duhot, Duhot, and he was, I think he was fairly higher up in the, in the expedition, but there was large scale kind of disgruntlement among the, among the people. Um, and eventually it gets so bad that uh, survivors end up mostly killing each other in an in a, in a effort to try to deflect blame and not be, you know, you know, not be called out for this. So, um, yeah, but that's the end of LaSalle. So that, that'd be chapter 27, just discusses the assassination of LaSalle. And then this gives, of course, Parkman a time to 
explore his his kind of the overall picture of LaSalle and, and his memory and his place in history. He writes, Thus in the vigor of his manhood at the age of 43 died Robert Cavalier de La Salle, one of the greatest men, writes Tonti of his age, without question one of the most remarkable explorers whose name live in history. His faithful officer, Jotel, the sketches his portrait. His firmness, his courage, his great knowledge of the arts and sciences, which made him equal in every undertaking, and his untiring energy, which enabled him to surmount every obstacle, would have won at last a glorious success for his grand enterprise, had not all his fine qualities been counterbalanced by the haughtiness of manner, which had made him insupportable, and by harshness towards those under his command, which drew him into the implacable hatred and was at last the cause of his death. The enthusiasm of the disinterested and chivalrous Champlain was not the enthusiasm of La Salle, nor had he any part in the self-devoted zeal of the early Jesuit explorers. He belonged not to the age of the knight errant and the saint, but to the modern world of practical study and practical action. He was the hero not of principle nor of faith, but simply of the fixed idea and a determined purpose. As often happens with concentrated and energetic natures, his purpose was to him a passion and inspiration, and he clung to it with a certain fanaticism of devotion. It was the offspring of the ambitious, vast and comprehensive, yet lacking, acting in the interest both of France and civilization. Serious in all things, incapable of the lighter pleasures, incapable of repose, finding no joy but in the pursuit of grand designs, too shy for society and too reserved for popularity, often unsympathetic and always seeming so, soothing emotions which he could not utter, schooled by, to universal distrust, stern to his followers and pitiless to himself, bearing the brunt of every hardship and every danger, demanding of others an equal constancy, joined to an implicit deference, heeding no counsel but his own, attempting the impossible and grasping at what was too vast to hold. Uh, end quote. So that's the sum up here. So if we kind of think about this in the context of these volumes, this is volume three, we kind of have three epochs then kind of hinted out here. Uh, the first is the knight errant, the explorer, the, the Champlain, the days of Champlain, the days of the Huguenots in Florida, the days of, of, of the Middle Ages still, the, the remnants of the Middle Age kind of figure. Uh, then we get the, the Counter-Reformation era, the, the, the Jesuit, the, the, the missionary expedition and the failure of that and LaSalle then is like one foot of course he's dealing with politically still in many ways in the feudal age and still dealing with absolute monarchy but he's got this one foot into um, into the world of trade and commerce and global capitalism and and um, and science um, but you know it seems his men he just couldn't get the men under him to support him or he didn't know how to really lead them. I mean, his failure seems to be not in ambition or brilliance or, or, or talent, but rather in his inability to communicate and, and, and build an expedition based on those values that were broadly supported. So um, you compare this to a ex successful expedition like Captain Cook, which also feels to us to be one of the modern era, right? In that it had scientists on board. It, had, it, it was a scientific, exploration based on modern political forces modern social organization like a like in terms of as a military expedition as a scientific expedition so much of captain cook's voyages are so modern so much in the modern era but that was done a century later than this and lasalle is maybe trying that in a time when that's not really really possible so he's he's a transitional figure in this way in parkman's view
Now, all the rest of this uh, book, LaSalle and the Great West, well, the first we deal with uh, what happens to the mutineers, and they, they basically turn on each other, uh, murder each other, a lot of internal fighting. A few of them do reach various places, but, you know, they mostly die. Um, and just a few return to France at the end. So they, you know, that's pretty disastrous for them. We get a long story about their their final survival or not. Um, in most cases, their death. We get a little bit more on his second-in-command, in many ways, Tante. And then uh, in the final chapter of this book, we get uh, chapter 29, The Fate of the Texan Colony, 1688 to 1689. And um, now Tonte tries to get to them, tries to reach them, and tries to help them how he can, but he's far away and he's not able to really provide that aid. And then, and eventually the Spanish destroy the, the fort. Or is it the Indians? I think it's the, maybe it's the Indians who end up doing that, but the Spanish were... We're going there trying to, to to end it as well. Yeah, I think it was eventually the Indians. There's only like 20 people left in in the Texan Texas fort when it was finally destroyed. Um, so that's the that's the end of the story of 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 La Salle and the the explorations of the Great West. So maybe not too much to talk about. I do think this is a fairly good book, though. I, I still like the Jesuits in North America a little bit more just for the drama of it all. And, and I'm interested in those Jesuits more than I am in some of these explorers. But I think as a, it, you know, not just the way Parkman talks about it, LaSalle is the modernist figure, right? But there's also questions of like modern labor relations at the heart of it and the trouble of, a, of someone still kind of in a feudal system trying to engage in a modern enterprise, you know, running into conflicts with workers that, you know, are something that's going to plague many expeditions throughout uh, world history, right? Desertion, mutiny, you know, even up into relatively recent times. I mean, those are kind of modern concerns as well. Organizing these these vast expeditions, um, you know, they required the modern approach that LaSalle was trying to, to engage in, but uh, maybe it was too early for that or, you know, the rest of of French civilization at the time wasn't quite where Lusau would would be, and that hampers his success, to be sure. Okay, so that will be be it. I find have a you know it's just Parkman's so narrative driven. It's sometimes hard to like find a whole lot to say. I mean, sometimes his his overall thesis, his his kind of unique perspective is is usually fairly succinct and easy to, to, to locate. And then that's in the mix of, of a lot of, of narrative description. Uh, but it's really what he excels at. But it's, you know, it's not like a novel. You know, it's like, it just is what it is. Um, but good stories, none, none, nonetheless. Um, yeah, I guess I didn't talk too much about the Indians in this book, but that's okay. They'll still be around in the future volumes. All right, next, The Old Regime in Canada, 1874, originally published, revised in 1839. Um, this one is actually in three parts. The first part uh, is called The Feudal Chiefs of Acadia, and this is just a very, very brief, it's a three-chapter description of, of, the, of the Acadian Civil War between Latour and, and Donay. 
that's uh, unless I guess unless you're a Canadian, you study Canadian history, you probably don't know about that. But there was competing claims, and there's a little bit of a war between two French claimants to Acadia. Um, we get a little bit about the Puritans because they were involved in supporting one of those, supporting Latour. And then we get to the final destruction of French Acadia um, of 1710. Uh, then we have a section which is a quite a bit longer called Canada a Mission, which is about more about the religious character of it. It's kind of a, picks up from where Volume Two ends with the Jesuits. We heard a little bit about the Jesuits in Volume Three, but they're kind of on the back burner. So this volume allows him to kind of talk a little bit more about what's going on among the Jesuits in in Canada. And then the final part, which is about the second half of the book, is called The Colony and the King. And this is really where the name comes from, the old regime in Canada. Um, you know, just what was the impact of these being extensions of royal authority, extensions of absolutism? Uh, what does that mean for the the institutional foundation of, of New France. And we even get some really great social history in, in this volume. So I'm looking forward to talking about that one. Uh, he even starts here. This is, this is I'm going to jump ahead here. I'll probably repeat this in the next episode. But in his preface, he says, or he quotes Tocqueville. He says, the physiognomy of government is, can best be judged in its colonies. For there, its characteristic traits usually appear larger and more distant. When I wish to judge of the spirit and the faults of the administration of Louis XIV, I must go to Canada. Its deformity is there, seen through a microscope. That's kind of his thesis of, obviously, the whole, the whole epic, is the roots of the failure of New France are in, are in Paris, essentially, and then the monarchy and the character of, of, of the centralized, absolutist, monarchical, and clerical empire. Um, but... You know, he goes, he, he kind of makes this case more systematically in, in volume four. So that's what's up next. Uh, we'll be looking at uh, the old regime in Canada. Um, and yeah, I guess that's it for now. So if you have read LaSalle in the Great West, if you know anything about LaSalle, uh, let me know uh, what you think of this volume or LaSalle or these expeditions. I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. So um that's going to be it for now, so I'll see you next time. If you have any comments, you can send them to me at 100pagescast at gmail.com. Um, but uh, in any case, I'll see you soon when I start my discussion of the broader history of, of New France in the second half of the 17th century.